Hey there, welcome to the show. So how do you feel about the beginning of April? You know what? Uh, it's going to be interesting. We're going to keep our eyes on the real estate market, all sorts of things that are happening and unfolding each week. And you know what? I'm going to do my best to be able to bring you up to speed on what's happening. You know, as, uh, as we see things unfold, we see things change. What we're doing is we're actually keeping an eye on things such as interest rates. That's right. You know, right now we see the upward pressure on the Bank of Canada. The, um, the variable rate is being affected, but we are seeing some heavy pressure on the fixed rates. And I think this is what we're going to see more of. And I do want to talk to you about some new rules and regulations that are floating around. Of course, provincial government was very active this week. And with some of their new legislation that's floating around, you know, we've got to be uh, mindful of some of these things. And it's really the More Homes for Everyone Act. And, you know, one of the biggest things that we did talk about this week was the fact that we are seeing foreign buyers being taxed a little bit more. That's right. Instead of 15%, if you are a non-resident, you are now going to be charged 20%. And they implemented it immediately. So does this have a huge effect on the real estate market? Well, Dave Butler from BM Select is going to join me in a little while. We're going to talk about that because, again, I think that it's kind of a bit of a falsehood. And... You know, when I'm joined later in the hour uh, by Her Worship, Mary Ann Mead Ward, Mayor of Burlington, we will be discussing this as well, just to find out, you know, what the market's like out in Burlington, because it's really good for us to mix it up uh, each week, if possible, and talk about different marketplaces. So I'm very excited about having Her Worship join me, and we'll see, uh, talk about Burlington. But, you know, back to the province. So upcoming election, does it make you go hum for a second? Is it a pause? You know, are you thinking that maybe this could be, you know, to generate votes or is this actually necessary? Is it the foreign buyers that are driving the price? Well, when we dive into the number of transactions for non-resident Canadians right now, that number is not very large. And this is where I think we have to be very mindful on how we take a look at the real estate stats and numbers today. Between 1.8 and 2.5% of all transactions right now being done are from some form of foreign ownership, buyers, non-resident Canadians. And keep in mind that non-resident Canadian doesn't necessarily mean that they're not you know, going to be immigrating here, just they don't have a status yet. So is this truly the way we should be looking at it? Should we really be increasing the rates? now? I know for a fact that some of the listeners, uh, you know, especially when I'm on with Jerry Agar, um, you know, they kind of jump all over it and they want to say that, you know, it's the realtors, it's the foreign buyers, it's the speculators. So what truly is going to be driving this market? Well, you know, a lot of reports out there are saying that the market's going to cool off a little bit Ontario with the increase in the interest rates. And maybe, just maybe, we've hit a saturation point where people are just saying enough's enough. So where's this going to leave you? Well, when we see some things coming out, such as numbers, where we see some average sale prices going down, and I don't mean the individual unit, keep in mind, when we report average sale price, we normally mix it all together. So that's a combination of detached townhomes, semi-detached and condominium high-rise. These are the ones that make up the entire mix. So when we look at averaging, it's a little bit skewed in some, you know, some parts of the market. Because a lot of times what will happen is, and we will see a cycle where there'll be a huge push 
on the high-rise condos, and then we'll see a huge push on the detached homes. Now, that can happen seasonally, and what we will do is we'll start seeing, you know, some of the detached homes picking up because those are normally the families are moving, and they're going to be moving through the summer, and we're going to see some push on those. And then through the winter months, normally it could be the condominium market. And so the average sale price actually went down a little uh, in March, but that is probably because we saw more condominiums transacting. So the lower the price, it's going to yank down some of the averaging. So again, these numbers, when we break them down, I want to make sure everybody understands where they come from because that's part of it. I think what it does is it creates a little bit of fear mongering in numbers. So, you know, if I just came out and read the headline that says, you know, the average price of a house is now down in Ontario by, you know, $80,000 from February to March, everybody's saying, oh no, the market's starting to crash. We better, and then you decide what your action's gonna be. But truth be told, if it said, you know, we sold 9,000 condominiums and 3,000 detached, the average price is this, well, that's justifying the numbers. And these are the kind of things that I think we have to be very mindful of. I mean, if we saw a decrease month after month after month, then we know where we're going with it. But it's not likely because there's still not a lot of properties in the marketplace. In fact, the only ones that typically come when a market is like this are the ones that have to. So again, looking at a little bit of upward pressure as we have in the mortgage market. Those numbers, when we talk about the the actual fixed rate, and a lot of people think about five-year rates, you know, some of the lenders, they're starting to push into that three and 4% range. And so a lot of people are looking at saying, hey, wait a minute, you know, I used to get a five-year mortgage at 2.5, now it's 3.5. Well, this is part of the adjustment that we have to accept because that's where we were a few years ago. Now, the variable rate, and that's affected by the Bank of Canada, just so everybody's aware, those rates are going to have some upward pressure. We saw a quarter point increase. We'll probably see you know, another quarter point in the near future. So what's that going to mean? Well, you're probably gonna be something, see something in the twos. Now, again, historically, just so you know, most people know that if you look over a long period of time, the variable rate has been the smartest approach to mortgages. Now, I'm not going to tell you to do it. You have to decide what you're comfortable with. You know, is it a set rate for five years or is it something that you want to save some money? So this is where the variable rate versus a fixed rate is going to come into play. And as I mentioned, when Dave joins me, we normally have conversations around that. Um, coming up, by the way, in uh, May the 5th, that is a Thursday evening at 7 p.m., I have my Simple Real Estate Investment Webinar. And for those of you that have not joined me yet for it, I try to break down who makes the best tenant, you know, where's the best place to buy. I do talk a lot about lenders nowadays because they are not all equal. I got to tell you, some of these banks, they are making it very difficult for real estate investors. And then we've got some investor friendly banks. So I'm going to talk about the pros and cons for some of those. And on top of that, you know, when I mentioned about who makes the best tenant, you know, there is uh, definitely people that you want to rent to and people that you don't. So again, it's probably about an hour. Yeah, it's going to be a webinar. It's going to be easy. You can just turn around, register at the simpleinvestor.com. And as I mentioned, it's one of those things that, you know, for me, it's just really trying to help people have a better understanding and motivation of what uh, investment real estate can really mean to you and your family. You know, I talk about generational wealth all the time. 
and I think it's really important. You know, what does investment real estate truly do for your future? And, you know, in my opinion, it's not about driving a, you know, a high-end sports car or, or living in a massive house. It's really about creating that security. And, and that's the one thing that we have seen over the last few years with our investor base is the fact that it just really established more security for them. You know, they just had that little bit of a nest egg that they could count on. And I think that that's truly the message that I always like to explain to people. Generational wealth. Can we help the next generation? Can we help them today with it? You know, it's amazing how many of my investors have actually done refinances to their investment property. There was no taxation to it. And they turned around and they put their kids through university or they helped them out with their first home. So, you know, there's everybody's got a reason for why they should have it. And, you know, you just get to decide what yours is. So, again, that's coming up on Thursday, May the 5th at 7 p.m. Go to simpleinvestor.com to register. And again, it's a quick hour and we try to keep everything as simple as possible. But when we take a look at the market and what is actually happening, you'll hear me kind of go on and on about the political aspect, you know, getting rid of the red tape. I think that that's one of the things that, you know, when I talk about the lack of inventory, and I really don't think that what the, the government is proposing is going to have a quick knee-jerk you know, effect to the market. I don't think all of a sudden extra homes are going to come on the market, nor do I think they're going to be affordable. You know, They do create a task force as the housing affordability, uh, housing affordability task force you know, comes into play. We see all sorts of things, you know, more, more homes for everyone act, you know, this is the government, you know, trying to work on trying to get some inventory. What are they going to do? Well, they're going to throw in some incentives and they're going to try to get rid of some of the red tape to the municipalities. But where does the solution come? Is it going to happen today? Well, you know, if you're sitting there trying to limit foreign buyers, that's not going to have an effect today. That's, yeah, you know, maybe, okay, so what, what does 1% of the marketplace truly represent? Well, we did, you know, over 120,000 units last year, so 1,200, 1200 more doors if we get, uh, if we crack down and we discourage foreign, foreign buyers. So 1,200 doors in total. Is that a big number? Not really. You know, is that going to change the, the life? Well, for some, they may say, well, it gives 1,200 people an opportunity. I agree, but I don't think it's going to have a staggering effect whatsoever. And I don't think it's going to have any effect on the price. And this is one of the things that we keep talking about, the affordability. And this is where, you know, these acts and these task forces come into play and they think that they're going to manipulate the prices. The price is the price. Tell you what, here's what we need to have happen. We need to get more people working. We need to get more people involved in construction. We need more trades to come in. If you do that, then we're going to speed up our build process. On top of that, we're going to be able to increase our inventory. And what happens when we get more inventory? Our prices will start to soften. And if anything, they might check up a little. So if we had you know, twice the number of trades in place right now, according to build, we still will not keep up with the demand. So what does that mean? We need three times the number of tradespeople to be able to get ahead of this. So I think that that's where the solution, where these task force and where these acts should be focusing. I think that if anybody, you know, takes it seriously coming up in the election, that that should be the person that we look towards to be able to lead us through this, again, problem that we have. And it is an inventory problem. So that's my solution. You know, I 
know most of you have listened to me talk about this in length, but you know, again, when we see this stuff launch this past week, you know, I kind of look at it very hesitantly and, and w- with some concern that I really don't think it's going to have a, a quick effect on anything. And if not, we're going to continue to see a inventory problem. Now, coming up after the break, as I mentioned, I am going to have Her Worship, Marianne Mead Ward. She's the mayor of Burlington. Join me. So stay with us. We'll be right back after this. And welcome back. As I mentioned just before the break, you know, one of the things that I love to be able to do is bring on, you know, local mayors, mayors from the GTA, you know, and actually surrounding Ontario. And, you know, this week I'm very fortunate to be joined by Her Worship, Marianne Mead Ward, Mayor of Burlington. And Madam Mayor, welcome to the show. I'm delighted to be here. Thank you for including me in that August list. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, um, I I have to tell you, and, and, and you and I talked off air about this, I'm a real fan of Burlington. And for our listeners' sake, they all know that we've got a new head office that we're going to be opening up in Burlington. So a uh, wonderful area. But, you know, maybe you can tell us a little bit about Burlington before you and I get into some of the nitty gritty. Absolutely. Well, I can certainly understand uh, what you would love about it. And, uh, you know, I'm a Burlingtonian by choice. I didn't grow up in Burlington. I grew up in various uh, places in Ontario. Uh, My last stop uh, before kids uh, where I got my first job was in Toronto. My husband and I were living there and uh, we had uh, we had our first child and then I was pregnant with twins. Um, And you know, we were always coming out to Burlington to hike Mount Nemo or to go on the conservation areas. You know, it's a world biosphere reserve uh, on our escarpment. It's it's quite spectacular. We were always leaving the city <laughs> and then and then we would go down after our hikes to Emma's Back Porch, uh, which was one of the few restaurants that I knew about anywhere in the GTHA, which was right on the lake. They had this glorious patio uh, facing Lake Ontario, uh, great food and uh, and drink at a reasonable price. And we were doing that so often that we just thought, hey, you know, why don't we look at moving here? Why don't we look at real estate in Burlington, uh, especially for our growing family of five? Uh, we were living in an 11 foot wide uh, townhouse in uh, in Toronto, which we loved when it was just the two of us, uh, but it wasn't going to work for five of us. So uh, so we, um, you know, we started looking and found a place, moved in just before my twins were born. And that's 22 years ago. So, um, you know, we we've never looked back. We love Burlington. Great place to raise a family, great place to work, have a business and you know, the two, I think that story really highlights for me, the two key parts of Burlington, which make it spectacular. Uh, we call it the two jewels of our community are the bookends. We have our waterfront, spectacular waterfront park uh, with restaurants right on our downtown, which is unique. And the escarpment and rural area. Burlington is half rural. A lot of people don't know that. So we have all the joys of an urban community and all the joys of a rural uh, community. So uh, so we love it. And we're always happy to welcome uh, new businesses. I can't wait for the ribbon cutting for you when you get here. 
<laughs> yeah, we're very excited about it. I, I'll definitely tell you that. And and I do want to talk a little bit about your waterfront because some incredible new developments that have happened. But you've also kept, it seems, the 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 exposure to the water wide open. In other words, you you mentioned some of your parkland. You know, you've got a wonderful trail actually that goes around uh, the beach area of Burlington. And you know, one of the things that you do is you have a lot of great annual events. You know, you have Rib Fest, all sorts of things. Can you tell us about some of the upcoming events for 2022? Absolutely. And and yes, we uh, we are so excited that those events are coming back for the first time in two years. Um, you know, like everyone, uh, they were put on pause during the pandemic, but we our sound and music is coming back. That's always uh, Father's Day weekend in June. And it's four days of free music. And it's just incredible. We get, uh, you know, upwards of 400,000 people through our downtown over the four day festival. And it's one of the highlights of the year. It's uh, one of my my favorite parts of the festival. When I go talk to high school students, they tell me that that's the one time of the year that they feel that Burlington has something going on and it's not Borington anymore. (laughs) So (laughs) we're we're, uh, happy to give them, give our young folks a reason to come uh, to our parks and and enjoy uh, something free. So, so that's coming back in June. Rib Fest is coming back. There's a lot of other festivals uh, that are being planned. We have our Halton Black History Awareness Society group is planning Emancipation Day series of events uh, the weekend of August 1st. Um, and, you know, there are events ha- that happen throughout the city. Uh, we also have, we have several waterfront parks, as you've touched on. Uh, we have our beach park, uh, which is connected to Spencer Smith. We also have Burl Oak Park, a spectacular waterfront park out in the West End, uh, Appleby, um, sorry, Burl Oak and Lakeshore area. And uh, we recently got an application for somebody wanting to do a veg fest in that park. And uh, it was approved. The support from the community was overwhelming. We, we do consult with the community when there's an event over a thousand people expected overwhelming support. So that is coming uh, this summer as well. And, and a bunch of smaller um, events throughout our park. So I know we're all so excited to see that return to festivals in person festivals and events. Yeah, excellent. Um, I do want to talk to you about a program that I think would be very interesting to a lot of employers out there. And it's your Mayor's Red Tape Red Carpet Task Force that you Mm -hmm. formed. And can you tell us about that? Yeah, I launched that uh, about a month into the job uh, as the new mayor. One of the things that I'd heard about, certainly uh, during the 2018 campaign, but even before when I was a councillor for eight years, was uh, that that there, you know, sometimes are challenges getting permits to do good things. And we want to make sure that we roll out the red carpet for people uh, and, and, you know, speed up those permits that we agree with uh, and even speed up those permits we don't. You know, we need to get to yes or no fast because businesses have decisions to make. So uh, we had a, a six month series of consultations, roundtables with uh, stakeholders, community, uh, business owners, developers, uh, and that led to 22 recommendations for how we can do things better at the city of Burlington. And uh, we've posted those on our website. You can track our progress toward meeting those uh, 22 recommendations. Uh, it's it's a great step forward. And one of the um, one of the outcomes that I'm really proud of is that we brought in a uh, we, we resourced a position uh, for customer experience and customer service. And 
that position is really a liaison between businesses uh, in the community and the city to make sure that applications stay on track, that everybody knows who's on first, so to speak. And, uh, you know, if there's any hiccups, that there's a point person to assist with that. So, you know, my goal is uh, with the red tape, red carpet, is that if you could if you could choose to do business with a city hall across the street, that you would still uh, choose to do business with the city of Burlington. Right. Now, uh, and, and one final note, obviously, we've seen an uptick in the real estate prices, you know, throughout the GTA. Burlington, again, also has seen this. But, you know, there's still some what I would call affordability. I do think there's a lot of value in real estate in Burlington. Uh, but you've got a lot of new development still happening, a lot of new builds being done. Can you tell us about those? There is a lot uh, going on in Burlington, both business and residential. And, uh, you know, I think affordability has left the building for anyone in the GTHA, but we're seeing this even beyond because people can can really work anywhere. And so, um, you know, we're relatively more affordable than some other places like Toronto, but it's still uh, it's still expensive. However, uh, we have more than 65 applications on the books right now in the city of Burlington for business and for residential development. And we have added uh, something like 40 new positions over the last year or two uh, in the city of Burlington to help resource that, to make sure that we're staying on top of those permits and we can process all that, really that flood of applications uh, in a timely manner. So we're, we're trying to do our part and and we really do welcome uh, that interest, we're really grateful for that interest in uh, in our community. Well, listen, you know, it's been a real pleasure to get to know you today on the show, and I appreciate all your time in explaining Burlington to us. Of course, very exciting things, and the nice part is is that with some of things returning to normal, I think people can experience, you know, the wonderful waterfront that Burlington has and be able to enjoy it. So, uh, Madam Mayor, it's been a real pleasure having you on the show today. Thank you so much for your interest, and I look forward to the ribbon cutting when you arrive. That'll be fun. <laughs> Excellent. Thank you so much. And welcome back. So um, I just want to keep uh, reminding you, coming up, that's right, on Thursday, May the 5th at 7 p.m., I have my Simple Real Estate Investment Webinar. And going to be talking about all sorts of things uh, that evening. You know, a lot of times when the market is moving and changing, such as interest rates, you need to know who is... The you know, typically the best person to go to for mortgages. Also, where's the best place to buy? What's going to happen to the market over the next six months? You know, this is a little bit of a, a lead into my next guest. He's a regular here. He's part of the panel on the Real Estate Talk Triangle. He is none other than Dave Butler from BM Select. Dave, welcome back. Thank you very much, Todd. Appreciate it. So I know you're going to be, uh, you know, watching the webinar as you always do every single uh, every single time I do it. Because um, just for our listeners' sake, uh, Dave also supplies me with a lot of the information when we're talking about the different lenders. So not just one specific. We talk about different lenders. You know, one of the things Dave, you and I do have conversations about, and you know, we're going to talk about some of the rules changes that have happened. But I do want to talk about this because it's really important. A lot of investors get stymied by lenders because you know they will limit them to the number of mortgages 
that they can take. And so when you have a, an investor out there that's trying to you know, create a bit of a portfolio, because it gets really exciting, you know, once you own one, maybe you get to two, like to get to five, you know, some of those people, you know, with enough time behind them can get to 10. But it seems like the lenders, you know, there's a lot of lenders out there that will limit that. So maybe you can help me out and explain, you know, some of the stuff that you have to deal with when we're dealing with this situation. Yeah, it's it's actually become such a, I, I call it like a bit of a matrix. It's a lender matrix, if you will, because as you pointed out, every lender is different. Um, you know, some big banks will only lend up to five rental properties. Some will lend up to 10. Some have unlimited, but then they have other little quirks with regards to how they qualify in the underwriting guidelines. So it's always just been super important as an investor that, you know, you're not only working with the right group, but you're working with the right group that knows the right order to work in. And order is huge. Um, you know, if you go to the wrong lenders first as an early real estate investor, you can end up blocking yourself from getting more down the road. Whereas another investor who took a different path with the exact same financials and application could end up getting more. So it really makes it, you know, I just think that much more important that you're working with a real estate professional or a mortgage professional that understands this landscape, because if not, it can become a tough road. And, and you and I have seen it before where we've had investor clients that if they had taken a different approach with regards to the lenders they used, they could have actually got more properties. And in the end, um, we've also seen investors that have done it right and have ended up surpassing some of those other seasoned investors. So without a doubt, the planning aspect of uh, the lenders and which order to do them in is paramount when you're looking at building a portfolio. Yeah. Now, you know, Dave, when we talk about building a portfolio, there's also some advice that, you know, we in the industry do have these conversations that not everybody wants to have it just in their singular name. And one of the things we try to encourage people is to create a real estate holding company. You know, we call them holdcos. But there are some lenders that will not lend on an investment property if it's being held in a holding company. And I think that, you know, it makes it difficult for people to navigate what is the best thing for them to do. Yeah, no, you're 100% right. I mean, you know, the cool thing is I can say that just this year, one of the big Canadian banks that wasn't allowing investors to buy in corporation names has changed that. And they are now doing that here in 2022. So it is a positive sign. But yeah, you're correct. There are certain banks and sometimes through the broker channel, um, there are lenders that are not willing to lend through corporations. And you know, what's funny about lending through corporations is that I've always said that it really depends on the investor. You know, you and I've seen there might be an investor that's maybe only going to look to buy one or two properties. And if that's the case, buying in a hold co may not be warranted because maybe the extra costs of doing so may just may not be there. Um, but certainly someone that's looking to buy five, 10 or more, um, maybe you have a high paper income and you don't want that to show on your personal. There's all kinds of reasons why you would want to buy into a corporation and maybe potentially why not. And I think, again, it goes back to kind of the original comment, which is you need to be working with a real estate and mortgage professional that can guide you this way. Because certainly myself, my business partner, Daniel, We've had many clients that we spoke to 
and have brought up buying and holding co. But when we go and we talk to them about their future plans, it doesn't actually make sense for them to do so. We've also had others that were planning to buy in their personal name. And then we really go over their long-term plan. We make a deviation and say, you know what? We think you should be buying in your corp. So it's a great point that you bring up. And it, it, the cool thing, and I think the fun, fun thing to think about is that for a big bank to now make a change and aggressively go after these types of deals means that certainly the, ty- the waves are in our favor. You know, Dave, one of the things that you know we try to advise everybody here is obviously you know seeking out the right um, the right consultants when we talk about mortgages. I think it's really important. Your team's been a big part of it. But when we when we take a look at you know again back to the Holdco, a lot of people you know it's funny because they think well if it's a corporation I don't have to guarantee the mortgage, but that's that's not correct. You know people have to understand that if if the company has zero value and you're trying to put a property in it for the first time, you know the bank is always looking to have some security, and that's where the individual who owns the hold company still has to be the guarantor on the mortgage. Without a doubt, one million percent correct. Um, there, that is a huge misconception that if we're buying a residential property in a corporation name, that somehow you can just buy it and the corporation gets approved. It's actually the opposite. Believe it or not, when you and me, sorry, as a mortgage broker, is submitting an application for an investor who's buying a residential property and wants to buy it in their corporation name, we actually send the mortgage application in under the names of the people that own the own the actual corporation. Those people must get approved by the bank, and then and only then will the bank put the corporation name on the commitment. So it's very, very important. The mortgage approval is actually all done in the individual's names who are on the corporation, but the bank just allows the corporation to be the company, the effectively the person that takes the mortgage. It's really interesting, but behind the scenes, as an individual, we are guaranteeing the mortgage and the corporation is allowed to have it in its name. You know, and one of the things that, you know, when we talk to investors, a lot of times, you know, their kids will be of an adult age. They want to add the kids to the hold co. But again, this is one of the things that we do caution people, understanding that if you, you know, have a partnership, whoever the partner is in the holding, you know, holding corporation, they also have to be on the mortgage documents. And I find that there is that misconception that people think, well, you know what, I can be the guarantor, but my kids can also own the company with me. And, you know, I always want to make sure we get the right information out there that any partner on that actual, you know, holding company, they must be part of the mortgage application. Without a doubt. And we've seen it. You bring up an amazing a situation that we've actually seen where we had a we had an, an investor couple that had put their daughter into on the holding corporation and she was actually now part of the mortgage applications. They assumed because she was just a guarantor on the mortgage that it wouldn't have to be disclosed to the banks when she went to go get her own owner occupied mortgage with her husband. And sure enough, it ended up causing a problem for her and her husband because she had all these other properties and she wasn't able to get the mortgage the way that she wanted. She ended up having, ironically, to get her parents to come onto her mortgage application to co-sign. So I've seen some crazy stuff, but it's really important that you bring that up because as much as as parents, we would love to do that and help our children. Sometimes without the right guidance, we may actually be hurting them without knowing. Yeah. 
No, I think all good points. And again, you know, folks, one of the things that, you know, you'll find that Dave Butler and myself will always encourage people to do, you know, when you're setting up things such as corporation, make sure you get the correct legal advice. Make sure you understand the ramifications. Because as you said, Dave, you know, this can, you know, have an adverse effect for somebody, you know, going out and buying something in the future. And there are those people out there that they want to bring their kids on, Dave, but what if there's any you know, uh, savings when people go to buy their first home, they've already used that, you know, they've already used that ability when they turn around and they buy an investment property first. Yeah, hundred percent. If you have done something, what we just said in that example, and you know, my, our, us as parents have put our son or daughter onto a holding company that's now purchased properties. We have lost our first time buyer um, uh, positives that we get, the land transfer tax credit gone, the ability to use our RSPs gone on that owner occupied home. So again, you know, it, it, there are certainly situations where it would be warranted that we would do something like that and give up those types of rights. But I just think it should be something that's done um, out of volunteering and not being forced. Because again, I've had situations where parents have thought they're doing the right thing but they've actually in the end kind of hurt their son or daughter. And that's something we don't want to do. It's kind of going against what you're trying to do. Yeah, exactly. So Dave, we're going to go to a quick break. Folks, when I come back, I'm going to have more with Dave Butler from BM Select. So stay with us. We'll be right back after this. And welcome back. If you're just joining me, I've got Dave Butler from BM Select and, you know, great conversation. We're talking about investment real estate. And Dave, you know, one of the things that's happened, of course, with the run up in the market, there's always the part that people want to throw in that we've got foreign investors speculating once again here in Canada uh, I want your take on it. There has been a move by the provincial government starting immediately. They're increasing the foreign buyer tax from 15% to 20%, but this used to be only for the Golden Horseshoe area. It's now extended right across Ontario. Um, do you think now all of a sudden prices are going to drop? All of a sudden we've got going to have a ton of available inventory and, you know, kumbaya, we're going to have so much real estate left over. <laughs> Sorry, I had um, to be sarcastic, Dave. You know, it's like, <laughs> I, I, I love the notes that I get, you know, with a government release like this. And it just, you know, I, I just, I shudder to think. So I thought I'd ask you the question. <laughs> well, it's, uh, you know what? It's funny I, when I did see the article, uh, you know, at first, my first thought was it's it's a positive and, and and obviously a positive more so because I certainly think, you know, it, it goes after the supply issue. And that's, you know, you and I have talked on the show how many times. I mean, it, it's I think at least if we're going after the supply issue, that is the right that's the right angle to go on this. I think that trying to curb demand is is effectively it's artificial. You know, demand is there. So if you're trying to curb it as a government, it's really just curbing something that once let out of the bottle, it's going to go back to normal. Um, I think certainly this could help um, put a bit more supply out there into the hands of Canadians and less foreign buyers. But to your point, I don't think this is a meteorite hitting the earth. I think this is more or less a piece of dust falling off of the desk, maybe. Um, it will not have a massive impact, but 
certainly the main positive I took out of it was that if anything, there could be some more supply for Canadians. And I think that certainly is a good thing. But again, um, attacking at the core does not appear to be something the government is looking to do. Well, you know, and, and, and sorry, you know, you and I normally see eye to eye on things. And <laughs> this time, you know, I'm going to throw a red flag because quite frankly, I think it's non-consequential. I don't think it's going to add any inventory. The amount of foreign buyers right now, and if I was to ask you, you know, how many uh, recent mortgages have you done? You know, I know the number is going to be very small. In fact, when we had our hottest market, when prices were way better, you know, we were running like a 4% in a marketplace. And, you know, now everybody knows we're kind of up at the crest. I think that if we take a look in the, you know, right now they're saying about 1.8 of all real estate transactions are for non-residents. Uh, so that's, you know, people that could be living here, but they haven't got their status yet. You know, so I think the number is very minuscule. And so I think personally that this is more because we've got an upcoming election. I don't think, I think it's just one of those useless bullets that keeps getting thrown into, you know, the voting chamber to say, look what we're doing, you know, cracking down. It doesn't change the inventory that exists or the building permits that are out there. This doesn't change anything. I mean, if there was a brand new condo release that's being built and closing in five years, it's already sold. It's already done. This does not change anything other than you know the impression that they're trying to maybe get a little bit more taxes in for the coffers yeah no i mean it, i guess I'm, I'm probably being a little optimistic on it um with the sense but you're right i mean the numbers are low uh, in terms of people that were using the program or in terms of people that you know as if you look at my office um, I can sit here and agree with you. I shook, I shook my head. Yes. As you were saying, you know, the numbers are very low for foreign buyers that our office done. And the answer is correct. I think maybe the last foreign buyer mortgage we did was, I know we did one of them back in December. Um, so it is, it is, it is quite sparingly. Um, and you're right. hundred percent. This is not adding supply. Um, if anything, as to your point, it's, you know, and as to the point of a piece of dust off the desk, it's effectively maybe taking a couple properties, and I use that number, you know, that that word <laughs> sparingly, but um, it's taking some properties that may normally have got in the hands of maybe a foreign buyer and now a Canadian to buy them. But you're right, it is on on the scale of importance and of impact, it, it seems like it would be rather low in terms of actuality. And with more so as to your point, with regards to elections coming up it seems to have a bit more impact on that. So I 100% agree with you. Um, but hopefully, I say hopefully, um, this is a step in the right direction with at least kind of going away from the demand issue and looking more at supply for Canadians. So one other thing that happened this week, and I'm pretty sure you were all over it, um, the new act that came out, the More Homes for Everyone Act, and again, Ontario government turning around and they're, you know, they're going to use financial incentives to encourage municipalities to speed up zoning bylaw amendments, you know, increase the certainty of certain developments. Dave, again, is this lip service or is this actually going to have an impact on the market? Well, the timing is certainly intriguing with regards to uh, some of the uh, provincial elections we have coming up. But um, you know what? When when it comes to government and it comes to a, a lot of this stuff, I think you and I have kind of always taken the same stance, which is let's see 
the results. Um, you know, I think over the last 20 years, we've heard a lot, a lot of talk from governments on what they're going to do to help make things easier for builders and for the supply issue to potentially get curbed. Um, but, you know, for you and I, it's going to come down to, are you actually putting homes up? Are we putting more homes up at more of a rapid pace than we were? If so, then it could be looked at as a benefit. But until we actually have the rubber meet the road, um, at this point, I would say a lot of it is lip service. Yeah, I mean, you know, when they start using, you know, catchy little phrases uh, such as the Housing Affordability Task Force, <laughs> um, you know, again, my my problem with this is, you know, when, when they start uh, creating committees, it's just to, I think, kind of bolster the narrative as opposed to actually coming up with true solutions. I mean, again, for years, you and I have seen these people, you know, they do a study, um, you know, and they'll say, yes, we, you know, we need a million more homes or else everybody's going to be looking for a place to live. It doesn't take a genius to do this. You know, what, what I find is they spend more time discussing the problem than actually acting on the problem. And if they would just turn around and learn that the red tape, yes, you know, they need more incentives. And one thing that you and I have talked about, we, if we're talking about immigration, we need to allow more of the tradespeople to come into the country because we need it desperately so we can increase our productivity. Yeah, it's just, you know what, it's, and this is something, yeah, we talked about it on another, on another show, I remember, which I, I think got a lot of feedback and even clients of mine spoke to me about it is, is in Canada, we are not going after um, immigrants that have specialized is in trades. I mean, I think it's very, you know, certainly I don't think anyone's unhappy with um, our immigration in terms of we are bringing over quality immigrants that have, you know, great education, good jobs, but um, that's going to certainly take away a lot of the good jobs for other Canadians. And I think there just needs to be a balance. I think right now we're not bringing in a lot of bricklayers. We're not bringing in, you know, a lot of people, a lot of electricians. We're having them homegrown. So, you know, I think just like with any, like, like with the housing market, any market, I feel like with immigration, more balance would certainly help us out a lot. Um, but you bring up great points. I mean, this, you know, these are all things that we've talked about in terms of how we can help the supply issue. Um, but certainly, you know, with regards to what you're saying, you know, is this just talk? Are we going to see something um, again? 20 years I've been listening to, you know, uh, politicians and task forces and committees. And I can say for 20 years, I've seen very, very little substance from that. And, you know, unfortunately, I think in politics and, and whatnot, um, talking and uh, posturing is, a, you know, just a strategy. And unfortunately, us as Canadians sit there and have to eat the terrible results that we've seen. <laughs> You know, I think that's a perfect end, note to end it on, Dave, because, uh, yeah, we're, we are eating a lot of stuff. And coming up on the next election, I'm pretty sure we're going to be eating a lot of stuff as well. So, uh, listen, Dave, always a pleasure having you on the show. What's the best way for our listeners to reach you? Sure. They did give us a shout out 905-569-8326. Or you can shoot us off an email. It's info at bmselect.ca. And uh, always a pleasure, Todd. Thanks for, for keeping me on. Yeah. Thanks so much for joining me today, Dave. Take care. So that was Dave Butler for BM Select. Uh, I want to thank him for joining me this week. I also want to extend my gratitude to the mayor of Burlington, the Honorable Marianne Mead Ward. And 
you know, wonderful to talk about Burlington. As I've mentioned in the past, we are moving our head office there. So it'll be very exciting to have her join us for the ribbon cutting. And I do want to thank Ian Grant. He keeps it simple for me every single week. And more importantly, I want to thank you for tuning in, making us the number one real estate talk show. And of course, I will be back next Sunday as usual. I'm your host, Todd C. Slater. You've been listening to Simply Real Estate right here on News Talk 1010.